And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. Mm -hmm. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you very much for tuning in to one of our Thursday shows, my favorite show of the week, although I love all of them. I love the Thursday show because we have one in-studio guest and we talk in depth with that guest about whatever the issues are that we are focusing on that day. I also want to thank people who joined us today in the in-studio audience. Uh, we really appreciate having an audience here. It's always fun to do that. They are able to answer questions, ask questions toward the end of the show. Uh, and I also want to tell you, I'll tell you right now, if you're listening on radio, that we go to break, you go to break at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes past the hour. Please know we don't go to break. So don't go away, get through those three minutes and come right back to America Can We Talk. Our guest today is named Senator Don Huffines. He is a, was a Texas state senator, a very popular Texas state senator among conservatives because he really just spoke the conservative message when he campaigned and then he voted that way and then he continued to function that way. And so he's been a, a real hero for conservatives throughout Texas. And he's also now, he is no longer in the Texas State Senate, uh, he founded something called the Huffines. His name is uh, Senator Don Huffines. He founded an organization called the Huffines Liberty Foundation. And I want to, you know, it's really interesting for a lot of people who've been very successful in their business lives. If you ask successful businessmen, why don't you run for state rep, state senate, U.S. Congress, many of them say, no, why would I do that? I love my business life. I'd rather be in business. They don't want to be involved. But Senator Huffines and his wife and family have been very involved in Texas politics and very involved really in standing up for liberty in Texas. So please welcome to the show, Texas Senator State, excuse me, Texas State Senator Don Huffines. So hello. <laughs> I'm glad you're here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Of course, it's great to be on your show. You do such a great job. Well, thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoy it. I know it's, it's hard to tell. I thoroughly enjoy doing this. Just I, I always feel like it's just talking about liberty, talking about preserving America, preserving Texas. But what a great job to have. You know, it's really fun. Well, I want to, before we get into what you're doing now, I want to back up and say a few nice things about you. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, one is, I, I'm very serious about the idea that You've been very successful in life. I mean, your business is successful. You're self-made, very successful businessman. And many people, as I said in introducing you, they don't want to get in politics because it's, you know, you, you take the slings and arrows and people get mad at you and they say mean things about you and you have to run for office and you have to run around the state and talk about whatever the issues are. So, but in addition to serving as a uh, Texas state senator, you also ran for governor of Texas. And that's another example of something where many people, because I know successful businessmen who've been asked, why don't you run to say, I would never do that. But you were willing to mm -hmm. run in a primary for governor in the gray state of Texas, which I, which I, it was a fabulous campaign, your campaign, Thank there you. were two other challengers to our incumbent governor. And all of that involved traveling around Texas and, you know, missing family time, missing family mm -hmm. events, missing whatever the things you would do socially because you really, um, you know, you, you really just had a passion for uh, seeking that office of, of governor and being in the Senate too. So what in the world is drive, drives you before we get to everything you're doing right now? What drives you to do that? Well, that's a great question. I, I've always had a passion for liberty and freedom and I love business. I, I just enjoy it and, and I love working. It's not, a, it's not really work for me, it's, it's fun uh, to be in business and I'm in a lot of different businesses. And, but I, I'm, I'm also a policy wonk. I really want to bring the solutions to the table. 
And this, we have the solutions that the Republican Party does and the conservative wing of the party certainly does. And, and so when I decided to run in 13 and 14, um, it, it was not to be in politics as much as it was to solve the problems that affect Texas. It's the same in the governor's race. And so I ran for governor uh, because I felt like that we could solve the problems like the border, like property tax, like election integrity. Some of the main things that our Republican Party is passionate about solving. You know, on the policy wonk thing, I am so right with you because a lot of people can come up with great slogans and they may have a personality and they, you know, bigger than life kind of um, identity but they don't really think about well, what is going to get us from X to Y? What is going to solve this problem? So you have to be a little bit willing to immerse yourself in policy to figure out what the outcomes are, are, are need to be. So uh, I also mm. want to commend you to something else. There was a speech one time, which I'm um, not going to play or anything, but it was a speech that you gave where you were talking to conservatives, a big room full of conservatives, and you were telling them, you know, if you care about things, issues, whether it's election integrity or taxes or all the issues of education in Texas, you need to be really active and persistent and keep on speaking up because a lot of folks who say they're with you on the issues, they kind of get down to Austin and they're really getting into staying in office, get, going along, in, what's the expression, going along to get mm -hmm. along, I mean, to just be part of it all. So, I, I mean, I would love to have you just, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, we do want to talk about your time in the, in the Texas State okay. Senate. How do you break people out of that? How do you break people out of this mission of, I just want to go to Austin or any other state capital and go along and get along versus stand up for principle? Well, I tell you, Texans are very thirsty for courageous leadership, as we all are in the whole country, really. Uh, as a business guy, I'm used to making decisions. I'm used to being responsible, taking risk, and, and, and being accountable. I was shocked. When I got to Austin, Texas, there's only 31 state senators, and most people might not re realize that or recognize that. And there was only 20 Republicans when I was there. And so it's a very powerful position. We represent close to a million, each senator does, a million Texans. And, and that's one reason I ran for it. But I was just really shocked at how hard elected office holders work not to be accountable to the voters. And, and it's the primary responsibility of our leadership to make sure that the other legislators do not have to take a hard vote, that they do not have to be accountable. So they come down and they'll campaign in their districts and they ask for your vote and ask for your money. And they tell you, therefore, oh, I'm for that. I'm for this. I'm for that. Knowing they're never going to vote on that. Knowing that they've got the control of the leadership and they got the leadership's ears, that bill's never going to come to the never going to come to the floor for a vote, and that's primarily what they really work on. They're not interested in solving problems. You very rarely see a candidate running for office with solutions to anything or even running for any real issue, and it's because they don't want to be accountable. The more definitive they get, the more accountable they need they can be held to. So, uh, after being in Austin. And seeing the poison, and, and Republicans, remember, have controlled everything in Austin, Texas for over 20 years. Every yes. statewide office, the legislature, the House, the Senate. And all the time, we're always trying to get some of our legislative priorities into law. We'd like all of them to be law. I'm talking about the Republican Party legislative priorities. And 
I brought my favorite document. Oh, good. Okay. Right yes. here. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the Republican uh, convention, it is the largest political convention in the world, really. And 5,000 delegates have put this document together every other year, or 8,000, depending on how many delegates come. And we vote on all of our legislative priorities, and we work really hard to try to convince our legislators to enact legislation to bring this into law. And I've been a delegate to many, many conventions over the last couple of decades or more. I've actually been delegate to the state national conventions. And we, we just struggle so hard with our Republican leadership that ignore us and actually make fun of this document when I was down there. Uh, on that point, and this is mm -hmm. actually a good tangent to go off on, which is mm -hmm. the people, I, I think in America, there's more political alertness around the country right now than there has been in decades. I think people are concerned, very concerned about the direction of the country, the collapse of the border, the rise of Marxism and socialism, the uh, election apparent of massive election fraud. So there's activism and there are people figuring out solutions and there are people who will work to get people elected. And yet we have this disconnect you're describing. You get to Austin and you discover that the people who are cheering on the goals of the conservatives they don't push to get them done and the same thing is happening in washington dc people run as conservatives they say i'm a conservative republican i stand for this this and this yes and you discover when they get there they don't do it they don't follow through and i and and people i mean they will give answers like well couldn't get it to the floor as though mm. there's a, a, a procedure emerged that had life of its own emerged and just stopped it as opposed to people impose procedures, people follow procedures, people violate procedures. It's always people making decisions, yes. Washington <clears throat> or Austin. So uh, at the risk of repeating my question, what is it, what is it we do to, to change that? Because I think mm -hmm. there is enormous frustration across the country, especially toward Washington and Austin and other state capitals. The conservatives know what needs to be done. The document you brought, this is a state Republican you know, party saying, this is what we want. And, and, and I don't know what is, the, and I don't mean to make this uh, an impossible question, but what more can people do to make legislators listen? Well, that is one of the main roles for the Huffines Liberty Foundation. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to uh, give tools to the grassroots and to, the, and to any voter uh, of uh, how they can hold their legislators accountable. There's a lot of think tanks out there, and some of them do a great job, but they're, they're about policy, and we are too. But our policy is with solutions, solutions to the issues. And we're going to focus on real rifle shot uh, issues. We're going to focus on the on property tax in Texas, uh, the border, uh, education freedom are the main three topics we're going to be uh, working with the state legislature on this session. Uh, so we're a different type of foundation than you're going to see uh, with other groups. And I'll be able, being a former legislator, I, I know the process. I know a lot of the players. I know the committees and, and I know the, the bureaucracy and what a swamp it is. So I'll be able to, our foundation will be able to identify specific legislators that, that we need emails to go to. We'll be able to inform grassroots about who, what's happening on the committee, actually happening, and how they don't want to work and what the bills are about and things like that. But we're going to come out with very definitive solutions like to property tax. How do we get rid of, of school tax? And, and, and so it, a, lot of, a lot of think tanks don't do that, but that's what we're going to be working on. 
Well, especially in mm -hmm. Texas, as you say, you know, it's a, uh, for our listeners who don't know, Texas legislature only meets every other year. It's designed, I guess, to give them less time to make pass laws. I don't know what the reason is, but it sounds good to me. They didn't want to ride their horses every year to Austin when they wrote the Constitution. But, but a very, I mean, it's a great thing to only have, you know, to have a legislature not 24-7, you know, going on and on all year long. But It is. So they have a short period of time. They're supposed to pass laws. And so by the time they get there, when the legislative session starts, in your experience, is everything pretty much figured out ahead of time? Like everybody already knows the only three things we're going to do is this before the session even starts? No, not always. Not always. Uh, the lieutenant governor's got his priorities and, and he's our, he'll be talking about those. And the governor will announce his in January or February, the first of February, his legislative priorities and emergency orders. The legislature, legislature cannot work on any items for the first 60 days unless it's an emergency item called by the governor. And the problem we've had is with our leadership in Austin, let's be real. We, we have not had a, a unified uh, leadership. The House fights the Senate, the Senate fights the House. We spent more times in the state Senate not hearing bills just because it had an HB in front of it, a House bill. I mean, they don't get along. And the governor is supposed to be the mediator between the two chambers. He's supposed to get everybody together on the same page. He's supposed to follow the legislative priorities of the Republican Party. And we just haven't had that kind of leadership in a long time in the state capitol. It's another reason I ran. Well, I have to tell you something else. I swear mm -hmm. we're going to talk a lot more about the Huffman's Liberty Foundation. I love that you did that because this is just another avenue or another vehicle for you to continue to push for liberty in Texas and to protect liberty in the laws. But back to the legislature, part of the problem it seems is that people who go to Austin and Washington, they have a long-term agenda in mind, which is if they can ride it out and successfully serve you know, two terms in the House mm -hmm. and then two terms in the Senate, then they're on to Washington. And, and it just seems like they're making politics a career. And then they get to Washington, of course, you can be a member of Congress your entire adult life I and mean, once yes. you reach eligibility age. And so would term limits help all of this failure of people to execute on the agenda that their voters want them to do? Of course it will. I'm a big fan of term limits. I'm the only legislator, as far as I know, when I was there for, two for the two sessions I was there that filed term limits uh, bills. I filed them four bills or so, both sessions. I filed it anyway. I styled it any way you would you could style it. So statewide would be a limited to eight years. Legislators of the House and the Senate to 12 years. I want term limits from the dog catchers to the governor, and and I think it's a a very uh, important thing that we should offer. I mean, should should have in Texas and a lot of states are shocked that Texas doesn't have term limits. I mean, our governor could be governor for 50 years, our lieutenant governor. And here's another thing I want everybody to remember on term limits, it's very important that we get term limits for our committee chairs, uh, committee chairman in yes, Austin. Yes, yes. Duke Gingrich did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, the contract of America in 94 in, in Washington, D.C., one of the few things, only thing left in that was term limits for committee chairs for the Republican Party only. One of the few that didn't get done, you're saying? No, it did get done. Did, okay, and it's did still get around. Done. Okay. It's, okay. Still in, it's still in Washington, and, and the Republican Party loves it. 
because they realized we had used to in Washington would have committee chairs forever. You'd committee chair and you could get them out. But now it's six years only for the Republican Party only, not the Democrats. It's a party rule. And it's very popular, and it will be very popular. I propose six years in, on my bills and my legislation. And another one is Speaker of the House. We need to make sure he dovetails the committee chairman in Austin. We could discuss the exhausting topic of why we always have to have a Speaker of the House in Texas who's pretty much selected by the Democrats, I mean, even with the Republican majority, and the Democrats choose who they want, they all line up, and then they only have to pick off whatever it is, 8, 10, 12 Republicans. All I'll say about that, is that ever going to change? I say no, I won't ever say never. It could change and it should change. One of the legislative priorities for the, for the, uh, by the state Republican Party is to make sure we do not have Democrat committee chairman anymore. That it's, would be a great yeah. change. And that's like. I think it's number four of our legislative priorities or number three. Uh, and it, it, it's just common sense. But they do that because of what you just said. Uh, the speakers want he needs those Democrats to vote for him. And because he can't if the conser if the conservatives peel off, he then he gets the Democrats to support him. And, and it's the same thing in D.C. You got to be careful. A lot of people are saying we need a 50 uh, vote majority in, the, in Washington, for instance, when we take back Congress in the midterms right now, which we will. I think the Republicans will. But it's really interesting to think about if you only had a 15 vote majority in the House in Washington, the conservatives have a lot more power. They do because they can work in unity like the Freedom Caucus and they can swing the vote. But if you've got a 50 vote majority, the 30 members of the Freedom Caucus lose their their uh, political power. It's That's the same. Very good in, point. It's the same in Austin. Well, so I could, they they count they work with the Democrats to make up for that. Yeah, we, I could talk a long time. About, I mean, I'm I I love the grassroots and I love mm -hmm. the grassroots activism. I love the various groups. I mean, in America, in the last four or six years, the number of groups that have emerged that have just you know it's moms mm -hmm. who are now showing up at school boards and dads, but people at school boards, people, uh, and I, this grassroots mentality is really they're trying to grab onto the idea that we were intended to have we the republic, we are the sovereign, we run this place, and they realize that government, even though we have elections when we're supposed to have them, and we have people, candidates run, we have a, a, you know, announcement of who won the elections. We don't really have a voice. So that is a, a, a just a, it's dwelling on or dawning on more people that you really lose the country that way. You lose the control of the people, the we the people, over the government because mm -hmm. we don't get them to listen to us. I realize I'm repeating, but I, I just think <laughs> it's, it's profoundly important what's happening in America. Groups around the country forming, saying we're going to just say no. We're going to say we're going to insist. We're going to, you know, that this is our. We've drawn the line in the sand. This has to end. I love all that and. But that actually is a good segue to what your organization is going to do, your new organization, the Huffines Liberty Foundation. By the way, I, I hope I wrote this. I think it's HuffinesLiberty.com. Is that true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, HuffinesLiberty.com. Maybe we should even add that to the Chiron there, Emilio. I want to make sure people have that. HuffinesLiberty.com. But so you got this going, and it's kind of like a tool to help people figure out, okay, I'm locked on property tax. What do I do? Is that about mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, and how are you going to do that? And how do you get the word out from what you think up, what we should do, to the grassroots who have to do it? 
Well, on property tax, I have a couple people on payroll. We have policy analysts that work on it real hard and I have executive director. And we're coming out with a three-part series on property tax. It'll be about 20 pages or 25 each, each series. And then we have a one-page and a three-page solution paper. And that'll start coming out next week, as a matter of fact. And we'll be sending wow. it out via emails and, and promoting it. Uh, and uh, any way we can. And the key here is solutions. This is, these are, to eliminate the school property tax is very doable. It's about fiscal discipline. It's about taking the surpluses in the state revenues and applying that to buy down property tax. We don't have to create one more tax. We don't have to increase any tax. All we have to do is have fiscal discipline, which is keeps uh, state revenues at, at uh, about 3% growth. And you take all the surplus revenue and you buy down property tax. It'll take 10 to 12 years, depending on the surpluses, and we can eliminate all the school tax. Okay, I need to, I'm not as yeah. wonky on this issue, so I'm going to have to, on the school property tax, yeah. you're saying the property tax we all pay in Texas, it, is <clears throat> it doesn't go entirely to the school fund, or does it? The property yeah. taxes. No, we have different property taxes. The state yeah. actually doesn't have property tax. It's all by the, the locals. Okay. And so the state of Texas will fund the school system. We fund about 50%, the state does right now, and the local property tax funds about 50%. The state of Texas, with our plan, will fund 100% of the M&O tax for school districts. It'll take about 10 years, so 10% will go away a year, which the M&O tax makes up about half of the burden on property taxes. Okay, because I know when you were first talking about this, when you were, I think when you were running for Senate, you were talking about the idea of, I mean, we already in the great state of Texas have no... Um, income tax, Correct. which everyone loves. We have no income tax. <laughs> so then when you're talking about we can eliminate the school property tax too, I think people work, well, where's the money going to come from? So once you say this surplus buys, I'm, I'm going to get mm -hmm. the weeds a tiny bit, but once the surplus buys down the uh, school tax, school tax, local tax, so then you get to the point where you spend all the surplus and then the state is going to fund after that 100% of the schools. So local school property tax will not fund the schools. That's correct. And the state, you believe, can fund, continue funding the schools without raising taxes in some other form in Texas. Is that right? That is correct. That's a mathematical fact. As long as we don't spend all of our money. Well, I that's mean, a spending yeah, thing, too. Yeah, yeah. But it, no, it's a fiscal discipline. It takes fiscal discipline. And I want it to be a constitutional amendment. And so everybody in Texas then weighs in on this. And it gives, the, it gives the legislators cover, but it also gets, it's such an important issue. People should, should make that call that we limit state revenue growth at 2%. Anything above that falls over in the, into the tax reduction bucket, and then it buys down it over, over a period of 10 years. And it's very doable. Our revenues are up right now astronomically. We have more money pouring into the state revenue coffers than we've ever had in the history of the state of Texas. Our, it's all double-digit growth. Some, some revenue buckets like uh, I think liquor tax, we got hotel motel tax, and most of our money comes from sales taxes. These are double digit growths, record revenue. Our rec uh, right now, the comptroller is saying that we're going to have up to 30, 28 billion and maybe more uh, surplus for next session going forward. And, and then people say, well, we want to have property tax relief. It doesn't mean anything. All that is just political cover. What we need to be is have a definitive mission. Whether you're in business or you're in the military, if you don't have a very clear mission of what the goal is, people will lose focus, they lose their concentration. 
And so we say our mission is to eliminate the school tax completely. Now here's how we can get there. And it's, it really is doable. Okay, on the subject mm -hmm. of revenue, which ties back to an earlier yeah. topic, the problem is, of course, people get elected, and I don't mean just on the left, I don't mean just Democrats, although I think they are particularly prone to getting elected by promising free stuff. That's right. kind of the, the <clears throat> MO of the Democrat Party and the left. But even Republicans are do want to engage, they hear good ideas, they want to fund them. So the fiscal discipline, it has to be both in honestly applying the formula you've set up, you know, using the, mm -hmm. the savings to buy, buy on the sales tax, but then going forward, it's going to mean that anyone serving, I don't mean to sound so skeptical, but it's going to mean elected people, Republicans and Democrats, are going to have to stay within that discipline and not do the kind of thing that elected bodies always do, which is find a new need, find a new, well, you know, can't we just help out this issue, this problem, and start spending. I mean, it's going to take long-term discipline. It does, it, and it takes leadership. It, really, it takes leadership it, to get all those get in that swamp. You gotta go down that swamp again, and all those cats herded in the same direction. And then that's why I wanna put it out for a vote. <laughs> it does take a lot of To the people of Texas. Yes, because the constitutional amendment will be very clear of what can happen and what can't, with, and, and that the state has to fund the schools 100%. And there cannot be a local school tax to fund it. And we're not changing the funding formulas for the school districts. Let's be, I wanna be real clear on that because the state, state legislature already sets all the funding formulas. And so that, then that's not gonna change. What change. They can change that anytime they want. What changes is where the money comes from. The state has a lot of revenue buckets. On the subject of other elected people who aren't so uh, committed as you are to fiscal responsibility, as I was saying a moment ago, they are just, there's always a way as a politician to say, oh, we can help out with that. We'll start another program here. We'll toss this in there. And that is a lure that to have many people believe they will hold on to power. They'll hold on to their seat because they promise this, they promise that. Yes. So what you're describing actually gives them an excuse to say, I, I can't do that because, see over here, the Constitution changed. I mean, it really is having the people pass it really gives the people who otherwise would spend irresponsibly an out. I mean, I mean and it protects them. I mean, it's almost like the big spender should want this because then they say, you know, that my hands are tired. I can't help. Well, that, that's a very good point, and they should they should want it. Uh, but if you want to eliminate government or get smaller government, the the only the best way to do that is to choke off the money. And in Texas, we have to have a balanced budget. It's the only thing the state legislature has to do every session. The only thing the constitution, state constitution, requires is for the for them to pass a budget, and it has to be balanced. So when you choke off that money, then you get smaller government and everybody's not promising everybody more money. And that's the power of the governor. I'll quickly say for our radio listeners, you're about to go off on a break at the bottom of the hour, but the portion you miss of the show, you can come back. You can actually always watch the show online at our website, americacanwetalk.org. At the website, you can watch the show. You can go back later, see past interviews, past shows, our Why It Matters feature, our blog post. Everything's there. And so go to americacanwetalk.org for the little bit of the show you might miss today. And you miss a little bit at the end also. But I'm so glad. I appreciate Brighty on Radio. Thank you for listening on radio or however you're listening. Okay. So I want to launch back at this. So Senator Huffines, I have to tell you that I, I'm, you ran and you say things that a lot of other people said too. A lot of other candidates kind of, oh yeah, yeah, I'm in favor of cutting that. Yeah, I want to do that. And um, 
I, uh, I think when you want to make a career out of politics, you pretty much say anything. But you really are making a career, so to speak, out of commitment to liberty. I mean, out of commitment to limited government, liberty, and the right idea of government. I mean, I think that's fair to say, especially given what you're doing um, with the um, with the Huffines Liberty Foundation. I, I really commend that. I think no, that's wonderful. You. So you, you ran for governor. I want to talk about that a little bit. So our um, current governor, uh, who will is uh, then again up for a fall election, um, there's a lot of criticism about him, about whether or not he could do more to enforce the southern border. To my view, I, the two issues that will change America and we can't get it back, one is border security and the other one is election integrity. If you don't have those two things, you will lose the country. So on border security, is he doing enough? No, he's not. Um, this was a, uh, the, the foundation of, of uh, the planks and I was running for governor. This is the foundation why I ran, because like you said, this is the biggest threat, I think, to our country. This is a premeditated attack on our country and particularly the state of Texas. And I'll, and I'll say this, the federal government has never secured the border. It's never been effectively secure. Trump really, he made it a little better, but he didn't secure it. The only chance after, I've studied this at length, and the only chance we really have of securing the border is with a courageous governor, period. A governor of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, a border state governor, but particularly Texas, since we have 1,232 miles of the border and 64% yep. of the border of it. And first, I'd like to set the table for everybody how bad the border is. I Please know most do. people all know how bad it is, um, but it, it really is bad. I mean, 100,000, 200,000 illegals every month are pouring across the border. Border Patrol is now called illegals from 162 different countries. Uh, they're not just from Mexico. They're from every country of almost of the world. And, and the, everyone is being smuggled in by the cartels. These are the most dangerous criminal organizations on earth. There's nothing they're afraid of, nothing they won't do. And they're making so much revenue now off of human smuggling, sex trafficking, and dope smuggling because the border is wide open. Their, their power has increased dramatically over the last two or three years, dramatically, to the point that Mexico is almost a failed country, a failed state. I love Mexico and I love Mexicans. I actually took my children down there. We lived there for a year. I put them in Mexican schools so they could learn the culture and the language. And, and, but right now, Mexico is in a lot of trouble. It really is. Uh, but the best way to secure the border is to hold Mexico accountable to the problem. And when Trump, you think about it, when was Trump made the most progress was when he threatened tariffs against Mexico. Then Mexico you know, said, oh, okay, we'll do something. Economic incentive, whether it's a carrot or a stick, is the best solution, one of the best solutions uh, for the border crisis. And the governor has the authority to do anything he wants to on the border. It's Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution clearly gives a governor the authority to repel an invasion. Article 1, Section 8 requires the government, the federal government, to repel the invasion if they don't. I don't think any, any state would assign the Constitution if it wasn't in there. Because for instance, I can give you an example. If France had invaded North Carolina and the federal government never came to their aid, certainly North Carolina would have the authority to do what they need to do, raise an army, charge a tax. 
And Article One talks about the difference between the states and the federal government. And, and it talks about if you are invaded, the state and the federal government doesn't come to your aid, you can do basically whatever you need to do, enter, including in, entering into a treaty with a foreign nation. Right. That I've been on the show. I've had experts on the show talking about this issue, the capacity of a border state governor. I mean, California doesn't want to close no, the border, not but get anywhere Arizona, there. New Mexico, Texas, they want to close it. So they have a capacity, a constitutional mm. guarantee, a right to declare an invasion. And that changes the power they have uh, to treat the people who cross the border, how they can treat them. It also changes the way the courts will review their actions. If a, if a court is precedent previously about actions taken by states that is viewed to be unconstitutional because in violation of federal immigration laws, but if the constitutional provision you're describing, if a governor used that and said, we are declaring an invasion, the, the standard of review by the courts, none of the applicable uh, precedents that deal with immigration law, none of those would apply. That because is it, it, yes. I know. It, it, and so what, why don't you think Governor Abbott does that? Why doesn't he do that? I was asked that when I was on Tucker. Tucker asked me that, Tucker Carlson show. And, and I, I can tell you that most politicians, you remember, if they stick their head out of the foxhole, they don't want to get shot, period. They're not there to lead the troops. They're not there to solve the problems. They're going to be incremental as much as they need to be because their political career could be at stake. This is all they know. And they don't have the political courage. This takes incredible courage because I can tell you what will happen. And, and you have to have plan A, plan B, plan C. Where are you going with this and, and where to take it? And if it's economic, I had my plan. I came up with this idea. I think I'm not bragging, but I think I was the first person to really work on this nationwide and particularly statewide. And I just got it from the U.S. Constitution because I read it. All you do is read it. You read the Constitution? Yeah, I mean, you would think. <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, look, we can call an invasion. Yeah. And, and, and so you're going to have a court order in 48 hours from a federal district judge that says you can't do this. And, that's an, and so then you can say, okay, well, let's follow the process. We'll take it to the Fifth Circuit. Then we'll take it up to the, the Supreme Court. They'll hear it or not hear it. I mean, so what? Yippee-yay. That doesn't take courage. What happens... What happens when you declare the invasion is what matters. And you will have so many people, or so, millions of Americans are, have had enough. We're all completely frustrated with this, with the fentanyl deaths, the sex trafficking, and everything else about this, destroying our culture. Dangerous jihadists coming in the country, yep, yep. So I say... We need to be on the offense, not the defense. We're tired of always being on the defense. Let's make them, make the federal government come down here and open the border after Texas closes it. He's the commander in chief. There's unarguable the governor's the commander in chief of the Texas military. Right. We have a very robust military. We can solicit support from other states if we need to. And we can shut down the 21 bridges over the river. We can do whatever we want. We would immediately deport anyone over the river, coming across the river. We're not here to enforce immigration law. We're here to stop the invasion. It's as right. simple as that. And part of what the authority the government would have if he were to declare an invasion uh, would be when they capture people who've entered America illegally, they don't have to just take them to a U.S. Border Patrol facility where they process them or let them go, whatever they do. They don't do anything. They're actually, he would be empowered to return them to Mexico. Of course. Which would be, which would be like, that. yes, that's the whole point. Please send them back. Absolutely. And, and it's yeah. not just that. Anybody aiding and abetting the enemy is your enemy. 
That includes all the NGOs, the Catholic Charities, the Methodists, and, then yep. the, and everybody yep. else. Yep. I've been to the border many times, and those white buses pull out of under that bridge in Del Rio every 10 or 15 minutes, and they're transporting these illegals all over the place, all over the nation. Every town in the United States now is going to be a border town, and every bus driver should be arrested. Every bus should be uh, impounded. And look, this is, a, this is an invasion. The governor, legislatively, there's many things the state legislature could do. Most people in Texas don't recognize that we don't even have E-Verify required in Texas. We got to stop these the illegals from getting hired. We we have hundreds of thousands of them in our school system, and we've had them for decades. And we're spent Texas taxpayers are spending five billion, approximately four to five billion dollars a year educating these kids for being in Texas that shouldn't be here. Now, counting the health care costs, incarceration costs, the law enforcement, it, the cost to Texas taxpayers is incredible. They're not paying that in Connecticut. They're not dealing right. with that in Maine. Or Martha's Vineyard either. Right. Yeah, right. not Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket or anywhere else and up there. And, and this is an invasion on Texas. You know, the governor doesn't just have the, uh, uh, the authority to do it. He's got a moral obligation. Thank you. That was my next stop. point. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. And to your point a moment ago about people in politics doing what's safe, which is a very valid point. People in politics, I used to say, you know, there are two reasons they will ever listen to you. If they're afraid of losing their money, if they're afraid they won't get donations they need, or they're afraid of losing their position. Or put the other way, those two things motivate them if they are going to get money and get power. When you are the governor and you recognize the scope of the invasion in Texas and how livid your base is, your base who puts you in office, and you do nothing, you're really saying, I'm calculating that... Eventually, I want to be president, which Governor Abbott does, whether he ever makes it there or not. But he's got this mission. And it seems like a dangerous thing to do to declare this invasion. So I'd rather sit back and let the damage happen, which means it is a moral failure. It's a moral failure. Well, I, I agree completely with you, uh, Debbie. It is, it is not only a moral failure for the state, but for the nation. I mean, this is a pre unarguably a premeditated attack. You got to remember the federal government right now has the border just the way they want it. And everybody's talking about, well, let's bring uh, the vice president down and she's going to see how bad it is. She might see that it isn't open enough. I mean, they want the border completely open and they, they want to get voters and they want to destroy our culture. Yeah, there was a great piece out um, I talked about on the show yesterday, I think. It was talking about the funding George Soros has uh, made. I mean, the billionaire who's got his Open Society Foundation and then the you know organizations around that that they fund and then those organizations found the next one. It's all to the point. He has funded many of the efforts the left is pushing to essentially weaken the border, encourage people who are here illegally to find some basis for them to stay, to find some basis to twist and contort federal law so that they end up able to get a visa to live here or even get in the path of mm -hmm. citizenship. <clears throat> I mean, this is a, it is an invasion. It is being permitted and facilitated by the American left, but Soros' involvement and the mm -hmm. dozens of foundations involved in helping, they, it, it is a coordinated invasion. I mean, it's a, and I, we can't talk about the border the entire time, but I just think that alone should drive every American to say, I'm not voting for any party that is permitting it, that's complicit, that's, that's tied to the funders of it, which really is what the left is, and which is 
all the more makes the question, why isn't the legislature and our own Texas governor, why aren't they more willing to fight? I've already asked the question six times. And <laughs> there aren't any, I wish there were big answers, but I do think yeah. it's, it's the, the American people, they are driven nuts. I, I can tell you, there's, there's, they're interested in their careers. And there's so many other ways they could fight, not just on the border. This is the huge, big issue, the number one issue for most voters. But think of everything else that they don't fight about. The genital mutilation of our children, our boys and girls getting double mastectomies at, at, at 13 years old and castrating kids. And that's a part of our party platform to stop this, to castrate the boys and, and give them puberty blockers and things like that. We, I mean, there's so many other things that they don't have the courage. And the only thing I can say about that I can conjure up of why they don't want to do it is because they really don't believe in stopping it. If they had gumption at all, if they believed in our party platform, they, it, they would act on it. I would take this party platform with me in Austin to my desk in the Senate, to our caucus meetings, and I would ask the other Republicans, you know, let's, let's work on these issues. Like in 15, the number one issue I think was constitutional carry. I was the first senator mm -hmm. to file constitutional carry. It was a legislative priority, the number one. And you would have thought, I mean, really and truly, you couldn't imagine how upset the rest of the senators got that I brought, that even mentioned it. And, and how much, how just, I mean, I was, I mean, just be honest, I was cussed at and screamed at on the floor of the Texas Senate in my office more than I've ever been in my adult life, in business, in any other, any other space. Because these people in. didn't want to be put in the spot to have to vote on it, correct? That is correct. Okay, this, well, I, it is it is amazing. And on a similar note, and these the, are by Republicans. Yeah, by, I get it, Republicans, yeah, yeah, right. who will tell you in any campaign speech, rah rah, yeah, I'm a Second Amendment guy. But yeah. on these really um, <laughs> sensitive issues about yes. uh, gender mutilation and children and the transgender agenda in schools and all that, I'm really, it, it, you know, we say it's in part because they don't want to, they they want to assure their political future or they don't want to do something that's dangerous but to them and their view of, the, of their political future but there is a fear of the mob fear of the you know i used to call it the twitter mob but a fear of the people who manipulate uh public thought the, the fear of the left they're so vicious and ferocious that people find it safer or the right outcome in their view to be silent to refuse to move forward on transgender mutilation of children on transgender uh, you know grooming of kindergartners all those issues they are more safe in their world saying i'm going to say bad things about that but i'm not going to do anything because i believe it is the fear of the mob fear of of mockery ridicule uh by the media and they want to somehow think they're they're safer if the media says nothing bad about them it's like there aren't enough consequences to them for failing to act. So back to your Huffines Liberty Foundation. Are you well, going to make them squirm a little bit? Uh, that's the goal. I hope to give them cover, too, <laughs> so they can point to the solutions. And, and um, look, it's their careers at stake. And they can have a great career by not saying anything. It, you exactly. can't, it's very difficult to beat an incumbent. Period. I don't care if you're what what role your position they're in, the, the elected office holder. It's really difficult to beat an incumbent. And if they stay down in their foxhole and don't have anything to say, then they're they got a career going. And but that's not, I think that Amer that Texans today are so frustrated. We're angry. We're scared. We've had enough. 
And I think that if the Republican Party in Texas doesn't listen, that the next primary season is going to be really ugly for a lot of them. Yep. I love that. And I'll tell you, I think that many Republicans should take a page in the playbook of Donald Trump. They do not have to engage in offensive tweets. They mm -hmm. do not have to have crass language that gets caught on air. But to take a firm stand, Donald Trump came out of nowhere. I mean, in terms of being a politician, you know, he was famous, he was wealthy, he was kind of the big swagger, everyone knew his name. But he came out and said, we're going to secure the, port the border and build, build walls. And people thought, wow, that's crazy. You know, no one says that. But very quickly, people realized, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. He, he spoke up on issue after issue after issue. We're not going to be socialists. We're going to be free market capitalists. We are going to secure our border. We're going to make our trade deals fairer so people, so jobs come back to America. He said things, and everybody else on the conservative side for a long time just kind of ducked and said, yeah, we're not really with him. And they finally realized the people loved it. Yes. And there is something to be said for that. Just go for what's true. Stop the traditional political, I'll be careful mode. Just say what's true. The people will rise up and be with you. What they want to hear is the truth. They're tired of being lied to. They're tired of people coming back to their districts and lying to them. Yep. And, 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 and voters are getting very aware of that. Look, in 16, we, I think we had 16 people running for president in the United States on the Republican ticket in the primary. And who did the Republican primary voters decide they wanted? They wanted the most courageous guy up there on the stage. A, a man that's going to hit them and the, the Democrats and the leftists and the socialists. They're all communists. There's all communists. Yes, they are. And, <laughs> and it's evil. And it's completely de uh, demonic evilness. And they wanted somebody to hit them in the face with a two by four. And they decided Trump was the best guy to do that. He's a business guy like I am. He was a business guy. He wasn't looking for necessarily a new career. And the second place finisher was, was uh, Cruz, who they uh, thought was also a fighter. They, we want a fighter. And yep. if I don't get why the Republicans don't understand that or even nationwide. Even the left respects somebody who's a fighter. You might disagree with them on policies, but they want leadership. And that's why we're winning the Hispanic vote. It, it is. It, it, we're winning the vote because they appreciate people that are leaders. And, it, and we gotta, you got to hand it to Trump, like you just said. He, he, he helped waken up the sheep to awake. Right now, we got so many sheep that have been asleep, but we need to wake them all up. And he started using rhinos a lot more. I've always used that acronym, Republican in yeah. name only, Republican in name only. And, and the swamp is deep. Huge. I don't think it's. I don't think you can drain it in Washington. I don't think it's possible, and it's really huge in Austin. It's a very vindictive place. It is. I hit one point on term limits. I have to make a pitch for my summit, and then we're going to turn to Q and A. So someone out there has a microphone, um, I think, and so we're going to get to Q and A in just a few minutes. But on the subject of the swamp in Washington and in Austin. I can't remember who it was. Someone suggested in my show, you know, term limits, beautiful idea. Let's let's put it in place. See if we can get it passed somehow. But there should be term limits for bureaucrats. These people mm -hmm. who go to Washington and they work for whatever it is, the Department of Labor, the State Department, the FBI, all those agencies for life. And they are protected yes. for life. And they become, you may be a really noble person when you go there and say, yeah, I want to work in the Labor Department and stand up for the fair administration of the labor laws in this country, whatever motivates you. But you realize it's pretty cushy up there. 
mm-hmm. especially if you don't raise your head, get yourself in trouble. And those people, I mean, Ronald Reagan lamented about the power of the bureaucratic state. He said, you know, I, I get elected, I have my, my cabinet I picked, mm-hmm. but the layer right beneath them, the upper management, in every agency, they pretty much run things and you can't get rid of them. So they need term limits. I assume the same is true in Austin. Uh, it is true in Austin. Actually, my legislation had that. <laughs> if, you oh, ran a great, you. if you ran a big agency in, in Austin, you were ter- four-year termed out. And so, oh. But the governor appoints most of those, so they weren't a big issue, but I wanted to make sure we didn't empower the bureaucracy by getting rid of uh, putting term limits on. But I want to remind everybody that I think we're going to have a great midterm election for the Republican Party. I think we're going to win, of course, the House back. I think that's a given. We only need a few seats there. But in the Senate, it'll be a little bit closer, probably 52-48. And I'm saying the over-under on the House side in Washington is probably 18. And I think we'll get, I think we'll get 18. And, uh, but I do want to remind also everyone that that doesn't mean we're going to get any legislation done, of course. Right, right. The, the Biden's going to be president for two more years. We do not have two-thirds majority to override his vetoes. So nothing's going to happen on the legislative front. And, and, and so nothing's going to happen on the border. There's nothing they can do on the border for at least two years. But you got to remember, the federal government, even if we had the trifecta like we did under President Trump, the border was still open. Right. The only chance we have is with a governor of, of, of a border state. One reason I'm a very big supporter of Carrie Lake in Arizona, she's a Republican nominee. Yeah. She's made it very clear. I had a fundraiser for her here in Dallas, and we had a lot of fun. I think you, you attended, Debbie, and, and uh, we took her around the state to help her campaign. And, and she's real clear what she's going to do. And uh, she's and so it, that's what we need is somebody to set that example of what's possible. And, right. And, and she's like Trump in that she and, and just yes. I say what's true. I don't deviate. I don't uh, you know, I, I don't waffle. Here's what it is. and Here's what's true. She has said among her first acts will be to declare in the state of Arizona, declare an invasion. Yes. It's an invasion. And honestly, I do think I probably I think Abbott will do it after she does it. I agree. I, I mean, think he wants someone else to do it pressure. first then he will. But he's got to handle it right. I mean, one thing to declare it, like I already said, I want to reiterate it, but you have to follow up. You have to follow it up with with equal force and commitment on your side versus what the federal government's going to do. I happen to know Carrie Lake's been working with some friends of mine in Washington, D.C. to uh, to follow through on that. You can't just declare an invasion. She's getting, and here's what you do first, here's what you do second. I mean, these are serious policy people. We ended up talking to one of them the other day, saying, oh, yeah, she knows exactly what to do. She's not just going to say it. I love that. I wish Abbott would talk to them, too. Uh, We're going to go to Q&A in just a second. Um, And I had one other point I was going to make about, oh, about fall elections. Assuming fair elections, we did not get mm-hmm. off on election fraud, and um, I, I'm on that so often on my show, I'm, I'm going to not do it again today, but fair elections are everything, and uh, the idea of that we, we have a serious problem with election fraud in this country on many levels and aspects, but I don't want to get into that today. But assuming we have something like fair elections, I think the American public cannot wait to vote a Republican majority in the House, and I think in the Senate. I think they can't wait. Make one little pitch about people you vote for. I understand people are now piling on some candidates because October surprises come along. They say, oh my gosh, so-and-so running for Senate. Did you know one time he did this or that? Let me just make something clear. There was no candidate for office who's been perfect. No candidate who doesn't have something in the background. You can say, well, that was a little bit, okay, except present company accepted. 
There is a not <laughs> no, really I'm not perfect. there's not a candidate who has no has a, a you know a pristine life. And so the left is trying to say, well, you can't vote for him because look at this, look what he did one time. Unless they you know ran a drug ring or something at that level, please understand, no candidate's perfect. And if you elect a Democrat, they're going to go with a Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden agenda. Period. Full stop. It does not matter how nice they are. It doesn't matter how nice they are their mother. That's what a Democrat is going to do. They're going to vote for the Democrat agenda that is destroying this country. To vote for the Republican who maybe has some imperfection in his or her past, which everyone does, you've got to do it. You don't get pushed aside, pushed around by the October surprise stuff. Okay, I got to do a quick pitch for my summit, which is now exactly 10 days away. So quickly, if you can put Emilio, put up this. I want to just quickly tell our listeners, if you do not have a ticket yet for this summit, you really ought to come. It is Saturday, October 15th in Dallas. We have a barn burner of a lineup. These people are cannot wait to get here. Plus, we have a a big surprise coming, but I'm just going to say that much. But on Saturday, October 15th, we have Sidney Powell coming right here to Texas talking about the rule of law and what the heck's happened to it. Dr. Simone Gold, recently out of federal prison, wrongly accused and spent time because of January 6th. Uh, Matt Lohmeyer, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, are removed from the military for pointing out that Marxism has invaded America's military. Yes, it has. We have Kevin Freeman, local brilliant guy, uh, a host of Economic War Room, can talk about ESG, the dangers of digital currency. He's just a rock star, internationally known thinker. Laura Logan's coming here. We're going to talk about her uh, recent uh, film, Selection Code. She featured what occurred in Colorado. She's uh, everything she talks about. She's a barn burner. Uh, Frank Gaffney, founder of Center for Security Policy. We're going to run down the security risks for our country, greatly magnified by the fact that he who occupies the White House is not on America's side. I'll tell you that much. When he finishes telling you the things are occurring in our national security policy, uh, you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna um, be glad you know better. Uh, Gordon Chang is coming. Great China expert. Going to talk about what China's up to. Uh, Reggie Littlejohn, incredible uh, woman leader, uh, speaking out in China about um, the um, forced abortions, and now she's ra- she's raising the flag about China's credit score system coming to America. Do not let them start telling you vaccine passports are needed. Dr. Richard Bartlett, rock star national doctor, uh, talking about the idea of what occurred under COVID and what's coming next, the next wave of pandemics, the next wave of, wave of uh, viruses, and the next wave of vaccines. Uh, you won't believe what he has to say, Sharona Bishop. Uh, charmed by having the FBI show up at her house in Colorado because she supported getting out the truth about election fraud. She's a rock star. She got Lauren Boebert elected. Uh, Raymond Ibrahim, brilliant guy, talks about Islam in America and all the jihadists pouring over our southern border, uh, fluent in English, Hebrew, and uh, reading, writing, and speaking English, Hebrew, and Arabic, reads the ancient Arabic text, tries to help you understand in plain English what the Quran teaches devout Muslims to do. Uh, Jason Isaac, great, great guy from TPPF, talking about, uh, basically talking about energy, talking about the um, uh, agenda of the climate change, uh, how fossil fuels are our friend, and so is CO2. Uh, Tina Peters, uh, the Colorado woman who was the uh, election clerk in Cortez, Colorado, uh, she exposed the absolute proof of Dominion voter machine vulnerability and actual fraud she can't leave the state now because she's under indictment, but she is going to speak, going to speak from Colorado. Uh, she's, she will melt you. She's like this, you would invite her, oh, she's so nice, you would invite her for Thanksgiving dinner at your house. You would. Mm-hmm. And she is really on the front lines talking about election fraud. Uh, Sam Faddis, scariest 
ex-CIA guy you ever heard, really, really well-informed guy, uh, writes brilliantly at And Magazine, uh, major career in the CIA, major top-level advisor in Washington, Evan Sayet, who is, he may be the lighthearted one, he wrote a book about the woke supremacy, he's a great writer, former liberal, now conservative, wrote some of Trump's speeches, and Christy Hutcherson, excellent, excellent uh, on the border, spends both times, uh, time on both sides of the border. It's going to be a great day. You can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, buy your ticket. There are still tickets left. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be packed. Uh, you get a very short break for lunch. Just show up ready to listen and learn all I'm going to tell you about their issue, about why it matters to you, and what you can do about it. And they've all, they cannot wait to be here. I hope to see all of you in Dallas on October 15th. And now we'll go to our audience to see if we have any questions for Texas Senator and gubernatorial candidate and CEO and President of the Huffines Liberty Foundation. Questions from the audience. And speak right into the microphone for them. Yeah. Yes, Don, we voted for you for governor, and, but that's behind us now. And I'm curious as to whether you're gonna offer a real endorsement of Greg Abbott or let Beto win instead. Uh, appreciate the question. I get that uh, asked quite often. Uh, Look, I, I love the Republican Party. Uh, it, the grand old party is my party, and I want everyone to vote all Republican. But the question also predis uh, assumes that Abbott wants my endorsement. Abbott has never asked for my endorsement. No one on his team's ever reached out to me for any reason. So I don't see a reason to give him a glowing endorsement if he thinks it might hurt him. So I don't know what he thinks, but he but the fact that he and his team have never reached out, he's got my cell phone number. I'm assuming he doesn't want the endorsement, but I'm telling you that I cannot stand Bobby O'Rourke and we've got to do everything we can to defeat him. Yes. We've got to defeat him. He's a socialist. He's a communist. And he's and it's it would be horrible for the state of Texas for Bobby O'Rourke to win. Yeah. It is customary for after a primary for someone in a government position to be the one to reach out and say, I would love your endorsement. That is customary. But anyway, yes. next question. Well, Debbie, you mentioned that not all senators are perfect. Well, it just so happens that I had a perfect state senator, Don Huffines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I heard uh, this morning, uh, perhaps it's old news, but I did hear that the uh, there's a new executive order that all veterans hospitals, the Veterans Administration will be conducting abortions. And that's of national concern because uh, the VA hospitals are not under the jurisdiction of states, but a national jurisdiction under the uh, federal law. I, I have heard rumors of that, but again, states are sovereign. Uh, and and I, I just pray that we get a uh, that we get a governor somewhere in the nation that's, that tries to prove that and does prove it, that the states are sovereign. And if, you're gonna, if, this, if, if abortion's illegal in a state, then that governor needs to make sure he enforces the law, whether or not he's the, the federal case laws with him or against him. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that states are sovereign. And, and I, that, this is a perfect, a perfect opportunity for someone with courage to prove it. Okay, one more question. Please go ahead. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I'm wondering, Dawn, after this is over and we're all going home, 
what's the next steps? How are you going to implement it? How are you going to get the word out? What is your strategy? I mean, I don't want to just go home and never hear from you again. I mean, I want to see you guys everywhere. I want to be a part of it, actually. So what's the next step? How do we get there? How do we help? I appreciate the question. I mean, right now I am focused on the, on the Liberty uh, Foundation and, and getting that message out. It is a C3. Um, and I think that's the best approach it, for me is, is to keep the pressure on the legislators in the state of Texas. I'm, I'm trying to stay focused on issues that affect Texans uh, versus the federal issues. I think really Washington is really, really broken, even if Republicans run in it. But Texas isn't as much. Uh, so uh, um, I would just say stay in, stay in touch with, with me or the foundation, our emails and, and uh, the websites and social media. We've got a great presence on social media. I do Twitter bird and all that stuff. Yeah. I was going to mention, I mentioned. Yeah, that's going to be better with Elon Musk on it. Oh, I know. Actually, they I'm glad They just took away 2,000 of my followers this week, though. They, um, so uh, the, your website, again, for our listeners, it's HuffHeinsLiberty.com. Uh, People can donate there. And that was yeah. one question I meant to ask you. So if you're an activist, if you run, I don't know, you know, some activist group, can you get on a mailing list to be told what yes. to do? Okay, you can be told, here's what we're working on this week. Here's what to do. Yes. I'll be sending that out to anyone that signs up or in people that even don't. So we've got a, I've got a robust email list from the campaign and others that have wanted to help. And, and, uh, and we also have text messaging we'll be doing. We'll be alerting a lot of patriots uh, to what's going on in Austin and to the solutions. I mean, it, it, the, the thing is, we've got to give those legislators either a carrot or a stick and encourage them one way or the other to implement solutions. It doesn't have to be what we come up with. They might come up with better ones or different ones, but we need these things resolved. We, Texas has the, one of the highest property taxes in the country. And so we need relief on this. And, that's, and this is a nonpartisan issue even. We need to make sure we have election integrity. We need to make sure we get paper ballots. We need to make sure we get the border secure. These are all not necessarily partisan issues. Right. These are all issues that affect every Texan equally. We've got to make sure we get school education freedom, school choice, and, and not have government monopolies in our government schools that, that parents can actually decide what's best for their kid and the kid can and what's best for the student and not what's best for the system. So and we can go into all that, but those are the some of the main Okay, things. I think we needed two hours. Yeah. I'm realizing that because we didn't actually have more issues and I, I time raced by. Uh, I can Huffines. come back. You can come back. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you live right back. here. Yeah, <laughs> Senator Don Huffines, thank you for joining former me. Former senator now. Don't anybody get mad at me. I'm sorry. A former senator. Okay, yeah, former yeah. senator. Well, I, the senator is a good. I don't. Anyway, yes, former yeah, no, senator Huffines. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you very much. Thank you. And for everyone listening to America Can We Talk, thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you hear